If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. I've been looking forward to sharing this message with you for a very long time. We're finally here. We're ready to go. Now, I hope you're sitting in your living room with your family or maybe in your dining room. I hope you have your Bible open in your lap. It is so important that we come together for worship, no matter how long this crisis may last, an appointment for worship with our family is important. Uh, now, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, and in the sanctuary, a number of people who've just gathered to be encouragers, uh, some of our staff and their families and some others. And so if you see me looking around at people and talking to people, I really am looking at real people. Uh, but the message is for you, and I hope this will be an encouragement to you today. So I'm sure you've noticed that people say a lot of words but we don't always pay attention to those words. I think oftentimes when people around us are talking, it just goes in one ear and out the other. At least that's the expression that we use. And you can think of examples. If you fly very often, you know that there is, a, there is an art to learning how to completely ignore the flight attendant uh, when he or she gives that safety presentation. We're good at ignoring people. If you're a parent and have children, you know what it's like to be ignored and feel like your children don't hear a thing you say. Some of you maybe feel that way about your spouse. <laughs> they, they, they just don't listen to you. And that can be frustrating. And it was frustrating to Jesus. He knew what that was like. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 15, Jesus said, let anyone who has ears hear. Now, why would he say that? Uh, because he knew that there were people who were perfectly capable of hearing, but when he would speak, they would just let it go in one ear and let it go out the other. In Matthew 13, 15, he says, the people's hearts have grown callous and their ears are hard of hearing. Now, he's not talking about a medical problem. He's just talking about how often we just don't hear when people communicate with us. And so the Apostle Paul on just three occasions, in all of his writings together, on just three occasions, says, I have a warning for you. Listen to this warning. And one of those occasions is right here in Galatians chapter 5. It's the passage that we've come to today. In fact, he says this, and we're going to read the whole passage together in a moment, but you'll be able to see this verse on your screen. He says, I am warning you, and these things I have warned you before, what Paul is saying is there are just a few things that you have to know. There are just a few things that are so important that we cannot ignore these things. And what we're going to focus on today is just one of those things. Listen, church, Paul gives a warning here that is perhaps the most important thing that we could know and understand uh, in all of the Bible uh, this morning. Paul is going to talk about something that often confuses people, often confuses Christians. We need to know. Paul here is going to draw a line that separates those people who are genuine children of God from those people who are just imposters. And we need to know where that line is. Now, just to be honest with you, when when you hear this, when we teach this, this is going to bother some people. I, I, I knew as I prepared this message that this would be hard for some people to hear uh, because you're going to be sensitive to this. But listen, Jesus said, narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. And we need to make sure we are on that narrow path 
And we need to make sure that we're on the right side of the line that Paul draws here. And so I know this may be bothersome, but it's important. Uh, For some people, this is going to surprise them. Uh, Some people are going to say, that's not the way my grandmother taught me about the love of God. Well, your grandmother's theology was probably better than you remember, but your grandmother ultimately is not the arbiter of truth. We have to look to God's word, and we must know this important truth. In fact, listen to something that Jesus said about people being surprised. You know, if you're going to be surprised better now than later, listen to what Jesus said. Also, Matthew 7, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, talking about the last day, the day of our death, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And he'll mention some other, we will mention some other ministries as well. And then the Lord will say, I never knew you, depart from me. There will be people surprised. And so we, we need to be surprised today rather than to be surprised when, it's, when we're at the end. So let's look. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, and I'll just begin reading in verse 19. The Bible says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. And he's going to list some of those works. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything that is similar. He says, I'm warning you about these things as I've warned you before. There's that warning. And here it is, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's, that's bothersome, right? That can be troubles, troublesome. So, so let's, let's see if we can fully understand this. First, he gives us a list of sins. He talks about some sexual sins and some lifestyle sins. He talks about sins of the heart. He talks about addictions. So he talks about sins. He gives a whole list of sins, and he says, these things and anything similar. Do you see that right there in verse 21? Anything similar. So you won't find a loophole to this. It's a pretty comprehensive list. All of these sins... Then he says, this is the important part, that if you practice these things, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that is not just some obscure passage of Scripture. Uh, If it were an obscure passage of Scripture, it would still be true. But it is not an obscure passage of Scripture. This is something we see repeated in the Bible over and over and over. Throughout the New Testament, we we see this. I'll give you some examples. 1 Corinthians 6 says, the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom. Do not be deceived, meaning a lot of people are confused about this, but you don't be confused. Not the sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then it... It's repeated in Ephesians 5, 5. Listen to this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. You know, those, those statements, very similar, those three statements, and, and we could 
we could point to others, they really raise some, some very important questions, some big questions. First, they, they, they raise a theological question. Paul is taught in the first four chapters of Galatians that we are not right with God because we've kept the rules. That's, that's the main message of the first few chapters of the book of Galatians. You're not right with God because you keep the rules. No, if you're right with God, it's because Christ has done something on your behalf, because Christ has kept the rules, because Christ has paid the penalty for your sins. And God accepts us not based on our keeping of the rules, but upon the work of Christ. And that's the comforting message, the good news of Galatians 1, 2, 3, and 4. So how, theologically, how can Paul now say in chapter 5 that while you are not saved because you kept the rules, if you break certain rules, then you're not saved? It almost doesn't seem like it fits together. How, how does that work? So there's a theological question there that we need to answer. But there's also a once upon a time question. You see, what some people will say is, once upon a time, I prayed to receive Christ. I surrendered my heart to him. I joined the church. I was baptized. I, I lived for the Lord. But since then, I have fallen into a different lifestyle. And maybe one of the lifestyles that's mentioned in, in these verses. And so there was a time, once upon a time, that I did that. But now I'm in one of these lifestyles. So what does that say about me? In fact, this is... One of the reasons why oftentimes pastors, very frankly, will just skip this verse, uh, skip this passage, because when you preach it, inevitably, as a pastor, you'll get asked some of those really, really hard, some of those really, really emotional once upon a time questions about people or about their relatives or friends. And so there is a once upon a time question we have to answer here. But, but there's also a hopelessness question. <laughs> If, if we practice any of these or anything that is similar, it says, then we will not inherit the kingdom of God. I see myself in several of these sins. Does this mean that it's hopeless, that we can never be right with God and we can never have assurance of our salvation, of our standing with God? There's a hopelessness question here. And so let's, let's just take a few minutes and see if we can answer these questions questions. Now, before we jump into it, I want you to look back at the last few words of verse 21, because I want to make sure you have this in your mind. It says that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, as we approach this passage, this verse, this is like approaching a landmine. We have to be very careful with this. And oftentimes people approach this in the wrong way and it causes problems for them and problems uh, for their family and their loved ones. Let's, let's talk about the right approach to this. And I want to do that by first telling you ways we shouldn't approach this passage and then we'll talk about how in fact we should uh, approach the passage. First of all, we shouldn't be dismissive. I, I think sometimes people read something like this and and, and they just think, well, that's, that doesn't make sense to me. That if you're guilty of those sins, if you practice those sins, that, 
that you cannot inherit eternal life, you cannot be a child of God, that doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't match up with what I think I've been taught through the years or what my family has taught me about the love of God. And, and so we just dismiss this. But listen, church, this is a clear instruction in the Word of God. It cannot be dismissed. If we're uncomfortable with it, then we're uncomfortable with it. But that ought to make us dig deeper, not just wave it away. So first of all, don't be dismissive. Secondly, don't be offended. You know, in America, we all are pretty good at getting offended, right? Uh, in, in America, no matter what you say, somebody says, that offends me. Now, the problem with that is once we decide that we are offended... We can't learn anything more. Once we decide that somebody or something that somebody has said that that offends us, then we just, we raise a wall and we don't hear anything else from them. And, and, and to our detriment, we need to choose not to be offended by this. There are whole groups of people. There, there are people caught in all kinds of lifestyles in America, people that you know, people who are listening and watching this video perhaps, that when they hear this, that list of sins, the declaration that those people will not inherit the kingdom of God, they're immediately offended. Well, you're saying your lifestyle is, is better than my lifestyle, or you're condemning me and, and who I am and the choices I've made. No, listen, don't be offended. If you're offended, you're not going to hear the rest of this, and you're not going to learn something you need to learn. You can disagree if you want to disagree, but don't be offended. Let's study this together. Now, the next wrong way to approach this would be to be apologetic. Now, let me talk to our church for a moment. We don't need, we must not be apologetic about the fact that God is holy and God has a standard and there is right and wrong. There are sins and there are consequences for sins and there is a penalty of sin and the penalty of sin is death. I think sometimes we are just way too apologetic about the clear things that God says. He is our God. He is our Lord. He is holy. And we shouldn't be embarrassed about this. We, we shouldn't be apologetic about this. This is the truth. And God is holy. And there is a right. And there is a wrong. Now, it's also true that God is loving and merciful and willing to forgive. And he is patient, long-suffering with us. And, and, and let's don't herald some things that are true of God and be embarrassed about other things that are true of God. No, let's don't be apologetic about this. This is an important verse. We need to know it and understand it for our sakes and for the sakes of everybody, everybody around us. So if those are some ways we shouldn't approach this, then how should we approach it? Well, two things. Number one, we must be introspective. Who doesn't struggle with one or more of these sins? I, I look at these lists of sins and I recognize these in, in my life. Does, does that mean that I'm not a child of God, that you're not a child of God? Uh, no, not necessarily, but it does mean that this demands our attention, that we need to know and understand what this, what this is communicating. So let, let's, let's talk about that. We have to remember that Paul, the author of this, the human author, comes from the Lord, but Paul, the human author, uh, was never a man who claimed to be sinless. In, in fact, 
We've referred to it a few times in this series on Galatians. In Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about his terrible struggles with sin. And he says, oh, who will rescue me from this sinful life? And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, listen to something Paul says. This encourages me. He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. So Paul recognized that he had sin in his life, so how could he write something like this? Well, to understand this declaration, that those who practice such things will not inherit eternal life, we have to look at the language. The key word is the word practice, practice. That is the word uh, prosentos, which comes from proso in the original language, which just means what it seems like it would mean to carry out some activity. But the important part of this word is not its definition, as important as that is, of course, but is, it is its conjugation. And so I'm not a grammar teacher, but let me just take a stab at this. Uh, the word in the original is a plural, present, active, nominative, masculine participle. You got that? Write it down. That'll be important. It's not really. But let me tell you what that means. In the Greek language, and this is true in English as well, but it is even more pronounced in, in Greek language, the tense of a verb doesn't just tell you when the action happened, but it tells you about the character of the action. And so, for instance, this is a present verb here when it says that uh, present participle, uh, when it says that those who practice such things. And in the Greek language, a present participle refers to continuous, or the technical word is durative action. If it were an aorist verb or participle, a second aorist, uh, it would mean punctilinear action. So let me describe the difference between those two. So durative action, think of a line, just a solid line. And that line represents ongoing action. And then punctilinear, think of a series of dots. And that would represent occasional action. I hope that makes sense. Let me show it to you in English. If I told you, if I were introducing myself to a group of people and I said, I, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I play tennis. Now, what would I be saying? I'd be telling you that I'm, I like to play tennis. That's who I am. I play tennis. I, I go often. I play tennis. I've got all the equipment. I'm interested in it. That's my hobby. I play tennis. But if I say I have played tennis, that's not just a, a comment on when it has happened. That's a comment on how much it has happened, right? If I say I have played tennis, that just means there have been some times in the past here and there when I have played tennis. It's, it's so those, the tense of those verbs tells us something about the character of the action. Now, why does, what does that say about this? When he says those who practice such things with this present tense, durative action, he is saying that those who have a lifestyle characterized by these sins that he names, and anything similar, he says. Those who have a lifestyle of these sins, those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's, it's clear. Those who practice these things, not as an occasional event in their lives, but those who practice these, it is a settled fact. It is who they are. They have embraced the lifestyle. Those people 
uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not so much, so much about the act of sin as it is the habit of sin. Do you see the distinction? And you see this throughout, throughout the New Testament. I, I'll show it to you in 1 John because that's probably the clearest example. Listen to this, 1 John 3, 9, everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. And he, pardon me, is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Here's how you tell the difference between those people who are God's children and those people who aren't God's children. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or his sister. And so he says there, if you, don't, if you sin, if you sin, you are not a child of God. Now, he's not talking about the punctilinear sin. He's not talking about the occasional sin. He's not talking about about somebody struggling to overcome sin. He is talking about someone with a settled lifestyle of sin. We learned just a few months ago as we were studying Romans chapter 6 that when a person becomes a child of God that they die to the authority of sin. The, the Bible says in Romans 6 that they are no longer slaves to sin. And so if you are a slave to sin... And according to Romans 6, according to Galatians 5, according to 1 John 3, then you are not a child of God. You will not receive the inheritance of a, of a, of a child of God. If we have a lifestyle of sin, we've embraced this lifestyle. And we don't struggle with it. We're not praying about how we can overcome. We're not reading our Bibles, looking for help and strength from the Holy Spirit. We're not partnering with people who could pray for us and hold us accountable. We're not in church seeking to have the Holy Spirit enlighten us and, in, and strengthen us and encourage us. If we've just embraced it, and he says we're not a child of God. Now, let, let me speak to this pastorally. Let me, let me explain it pastorally. We, we've looked at it theologically. Let's look at it pastorally. The, we learned a few weeks ago from Galatians 4, 6 that when you become a child of God, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that the Father puts the Holy Spirit in your heart. It even uses that phrase, in your heart, uh, Galatians 4.6. And we also learn, Galatians 4.19, that the Holy Spirit will seek to form the character of Christ in you. The Holy Spirit's sanctifying you. That's the that's the theological word, but the Holy Spirit's trying to change you and make you more like Christ. And so inside of a true believer, there is this battle between the Holy Spirit and sin. And a true believer cannot embrace and be happy and be satisfied with sin as a lifestyle because the Holy Spirit is in his heart. The Holy Spirit is in her heart. And the Holy Spirit is wrestling with that sin. Let me, let me explain it one more way. By using a parable that Jesus used, it's the parable, the most familiar parable, you'll know this parable. We call it the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. And so if, if you don't know the whole story, uh, there was a father and he had two sons, an older and a younger. And the younger son uh, decides to rebel against the father. He leaves home, uh, he takes uh, some of the father's possessions, uh, he treats the father with disrespect and he rebels. And that's a picture of a believer, a genuine child of God, who rebels against God. We have sin in our lives. We've all been 
the prodigal son. And so this, this son in, this, in the parable, he, he goes and he just really turns his rebellion all the way up to 10. He rebels in every way. But he comes really to the end of his resources and he's hungry. He can't find a job, so he ends up feeding pigs. It's probably hard for us to understand how uh, humiliating that would be. That would have been the worst job a person could possibly have had in those days. Uh, religiously, pigs were unclean animals, and so to feed pigs, that you couldn't get a worse job than that. But that's how desperate he was. And he was so hungry, he, the Bible says in Jesus' parable that he thought about eating the food that the pigs were eating, the slop that the pigs were eating. But then, this is interesting, when Jesus tells the parable, he says that at that point, the man realized something. He realized that he was rebelling against his father and that he shouldn't and he should return to his father and that his father uh, loved him and that his father was, was a man of grace and mercy. And so he goes back to his father and he's restored with his father. Now, he, here's the lesson as it applies to this. Those people who stay with the pigs are not children of God. But those people who wrestle with sin and fight with sin and strive because the Holy Spirit is in their hearts, those people are children of God. We're, we're, we're children of God because of the work of Christ on the cross and the evidence of that is that the Holy Spirit of God wrestles with the sin that's in our heart and in our lives. So what should you do? If you're on the wrong side of this line, if you recognize that while you may have made some spiritual decision in the past, you may have made some, some proclamation about God in the past, that you just have a settled life of sin, that there's some lifestyle and you've just embraced it and you're not bothered by it, it's not tearing you up, you're not, you're not working to see change in your life, what should you do? Should you go clean up your life and try harder and stop sinning? Well, not directly. Yes and no. But first, you have to understand that you are lost and that in your sin, you are hopeless. And the only thing, the first thing that you can do is to trust what Jesus has done on the cross and to cry out that God will give you a new heart and cry out that, that the Lord would put the Holy Spirit in you and, and that he would forgive you because of what Christ has done and that you would be accepted on that basis. And then God will bring about change in your life. Then you will partner with the Holy Spirit to bring about change in your life. But if you're on the wrong side of the line, Paul makes this line, he draws it so clearly. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I just beg you this morning, call out to Christ. Call out to the Father and ask him to forgive you and give you a new heart. Surrender your life to him and then God will begin to make the change. This is one of those uh, rubber meets the road kind of verses uh, that calls for us to make a decision. If you would like to make a decision or you have questions about that, I have more to say, but let me just, let me just give you an avenue to do that. Uh, you may have noticed if you're looking at the social media feed as you've been watching this video uh, that some of our ministers, uh, pastors here at the church have made some remarks. Uh, you could just reach out to one of them just in a private message and 
They're, they will put their emails up there. You can just reach out to one of them. If you know one of them and say, hey, I'm struggling with what the pastor said. I, I, I want to talk about that. That's important to me. And uh, privately, they, they'll talk to you about that. You can call the church office right now. You don't even have to wait till the message is over. Uh, the phone number, 936-564-7379. You call, somebody will answer. If they don't answer, leave a message. Somebody will call you back and say, hey, I, I may be on the wrong side of the line that Paul so clearly draws, and this is important, and I need you to help me respond to the invitation of the Lord that will bring forgiveness and restoration and real change in my life. Don't let this time pass without responding. Uh, to God's invitation. Now, let me just say quickly one more, one more way that we need to approach this text, one more right way to approach this text. Not only do we need to be introspective, we, we all need to look into our own lives and ask these hard questions, uh, but we need to be sympathetic. I tell you, as I was preparing this message, I uh, went through a lot of, a lot of emotions. This, this is an emotional passage I went through emotions because, I, as I said, I, I do see myself in some of these sins. And I, am, I am very aware of my sin. Uh, maybe not as aware of it as I should be, but I, I'm aware of my sin. But, but I'm encouraged. This, this encourages me because as much as I'm aware of my sin, I am so tired of my sin. I'm so exhausted over my sin. I can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in my life, how the Holy Spirit's making me miserable about some sin in my life, how the Holy Spirit is, is prompting me and how the Holy Spirit is strengthening me and providing accountability and providing conviction and strength. And so this could be a very encouraging passage. But, but once you're encouraged, here's the next thing that happens. You have to realize, looking at this, that there are so many people around us that just have a nominal Christian faith. They just, they're Christians in name only. Uh, it's just a casual Christianity. They, they believe a few things that are, that are scriptural perhaps. Uh, they've maybe made some public commitment in their lives. Uh, maybe they, you know, they have a lifestyle that's respectable. Maybe they attend church uh, often or occasionally. But people you know that there's been no real change in their life. They're, they, they have, they are so casual about sin, they've just embraced it. It is a settled fact in their lives. You know, the truth is, what does not change us does not save us. And so we shouldn't be judgmental about those people because I, I'm aware of sin in my life. It's, it's not that, that they sin and I don't sin. No, we should be sympathetic because I understand that with my sin, there's also the Holy Spirit and there's forgiveness and there's the wrestling with that sin and there's evidence of God's work in my life. And I know people for whom that is likely not true. And we ought to care for those people. I, I think so many people have such a false assurance that they are children of God. But if they tried to explain if they understood Galatians 5.21, they'd have a very different view. They would understand that they're not on the narrow path and they're not on the right side of the line. 
And we ought to have compassion. We should be sympathetic with these people. Listen, church, as we read through this, it ought to compel us uh, to be gospel witnesses to those around us, friends or family, co-workers, neighbors. We should have a compassion for those people and be sympathetic to their condition. This should make us bold for the gospel. Just having some spiritual token in your past, some religious uh, event in your past, Paul makes it clear, is not equal salvation. Let's love and care for the people around us and let's love some of those right into the kingdom of God. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you that your word is so clear and so true. Forgive us when we have just dismissed hard verses like this, when we've skipped over them, when we've read them, it just kept going. Help us to pause, help us to, to take notice. And Father, I pray that you make it so clear whether or not the faith that we have in you is genuine or not. That you help us to be introspective and see the truth about who we are and whether we have a settled attitude toward our sin or if we, because of the Holy Spirit's in our heart, are fighting it all to the end. And Father, help us to respond to your love and your grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that you want to give to us. Let us be bright lights in a dark world, knowing that so many people around us have false assurance. And we have been left in order to teach them and share with them the truth of God. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.